Father, we thank you for being so kind and for always being so near. When we cry out for you, oh God, almighty God, we can sense your presence. We are thankful for this Sabbath day. We're thankful for rest and for worship as you fill us to overflowing through your living word. Indeed, your truths sustain us, they strengthen us. Your presence has blessed us through the week now ending. And we know that as we rise in the morning, work throughout the day, and lie down at night, that you are with us. You satisfy our souls. How wonderful it is to be able to turn to you any time and sense your holy presence. Your love and guidance take us through all trials and challenges that come our way. Your loving kindness is more wonderful than life itself. Oh, we do know that we are blessed. We lift our hearts and hands to you. We enter your gates and give thanks to your name. We enter your courts. We praise you. You are the living God. You give us life each day. Our next breath is dependent upon your, your say-so. We are your creation after all. And we honor you with the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The Holy Spirit can and will give direction to all of us if we desire it. But Holy Spirit guidance is not insider information. Okay. The Holy Spirit does not tell us in advance whether or not to select door number one or door number two. God expects us to pray and seek guidance, but he also expects us to exercise judgment, wisdom, initiative, choice, and responsibility. And if you think about it, 
In most situations, God's primary purpose in guidance is not to get you to choose the right door. Rather, his purpose is to help you become the right kind of person. He wants you to learn to think, to weigh options, to discover what you, what you as a believer, really value, and to take responsibility for your choices and your decisions. When we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we live in freedom. We are not addicted to the opinions of other people. Our lives are bound, but they are not bound to other people's opinions. They are bound to the approval of God. Serving God ceases to be an extraordinary way to live, to live because it becomes the natural way to live. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about me as a young man. I think I was in my late 20s, maybe early 30s. I read a self-help book about living a positive lifestyle. And I remember how the author explained the importance of having a balanced life. The author emphasized the need to have an intellectual dimension, an emotional side, a physical side, and a place in life reserved for something spiritual. The four primary ingredients, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, physical. And the author called this living a balanced lifestyle. Today, living a balanced lifestyle is still something that most people in America, in American society, desire to pursue. In fact, in our society, a balanced life has become a paradigm for the ideal life. But as I matured as a Christian, I realized that there was something, something more fundamental missing in that book. There was something very wrong with the concept. The author's concept of balance encouraged the reader to think about matters such as finances or work as non-godly activities. The book promoted, without saying it directly, being blind to the fact that God is interested in every activity in our lives. Balance seems to suggest that we are trying to make our lives more manageable and thus more pleasant. But that concept of balance, if you think about it, is largely a middle-class pursuit. It's a convenience item. It lacks the notion that life is to be lived for something bigger than ourselves. It lacks the call to sacrifice. It lacks the call to service to God in the, his kingdom, just ask a homeless person or ask a hungry child in Haiti if they want you to help them have a balanced life. You'll find out very quickly that they are looking for more than just balance. God is looking for more than balance from us as well. Jesus did not say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and lead a balanced life. He said to follow him and do what he would do if he were in your shoes. Now, don't think for a moment that I'm advocating living an unbalanced life. 
I want balance. But balance, as promoted in that book, was not the answer because the balance we read about in self-help books is an external balance. The balance you need is not about a pleasant, ordered lifestyle. The balance you need is an internal balance, Christ-centered life. The balance you need is having a heart to love the right thing with the right kind of love to the right, to the right degree. Proverbs 4.23 says it this way. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. When your heart is balanced, when your mind is well-ordered, you are not only increasingly free from sin, but you are increasingly free from the desire to sin. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. The Holy Spirit seeks to transform you from the inside out to change your desires. Imagine the world if it were filled with people who have balanced hearts. Things would be very different. TV pro programs would not be about, bi about violence predominantly. The tabloids would be filled with stories about kindness and acts of generosity committed by regular people not celebrities, and they would have their clothes on. <laughs> Had to throw that zinger in. Drug trafficking and human trafficking would disappear. There would be no more war. Godly transformation changes ordinary people with hearts that, into people with hearts that love the right thing with the right kind of love to the right degree. So what then are we supposed to do to make this transformation happen? Well, our spiritual transformation really is not orchestrated, but it's not random either. Random, haphazard efforts at spiritual transformation leave us nowhere. They will leave us frustrated. We need sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit we need a plan for transformation. But what is that plan? Hmm. Well, I like what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. This is the plan that we need for our lives. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? I've preached on this before, but concisely, or a person's name, especially in Bible times, reflected that person's character. So doing something in the name of Jesus means doing it with his character. Doing something in the name of Jesus means doing it as Jesus would do it if he were in your shoes. WWJD, what would Jesus do? I find at the comprehensive nature of Paul's words here in Colossians 3.17, I find that his words are remarkable. Paul said, whatever you do. Then in case there was any confusion, he explained what he meant. Whatever you do in word or deed. That covers your whole existence. But just in case you still didn't get it, just in case you are tempted to look for a loophole, 
Paul repeated it again in the, exact, in the same sentence, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything means exactly what it says. Everything. How do we wake up in the morning in the name of Jesus? Some people like to divide the human race into two categories. People who love to get up in the morning and people who hate the people who love to get up in the morning. <laughs> Perhaps if someone asks you, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? You would respond to him or her, no, I let him sleep. When you wake up in the morning, what pops into your mind first? Is your mind filled with anxiety about the day? So many people wake up that, that way. A lot of people do. Or are your first thoughts about assurance as to who holds the day and who holds you? One way you can wake up in the name of Jesus is to take a moment when you wake up to greet God and tell him that your day belongs to him. Invite him to share your day with you. The way you greet people is crucial. I have another story. I will never forget the time I was having a difficult day at the Sanford Power Plant. This place was a hardcore union plant. I was the enemy in the union's eyes. I was management. There was an electrician journeyman who was a good worker, but he was a whiner. And I wasn't in the mood for his crybaby attitude that morning. And he started whining about some minor issue that had nothing to do with keeping the plant running and keeping the lights on. I dare not tell you the words I said to him that morning. They were bad. I can assure you my words were not the words Jesus would have said. And as, I, as soon as I finished my ugly words, I realized how grossly inappropriate they were. I apologized profusely, but he never forgot. I heard about my lapse in judgment for the next two years. Only when I transferred to a new work location and no longer saw the guy did I stop hearing about my poor choice of words. If you want to greet people in the name of Jesus, it means doing something radical like greeting them in a pleasant manner. How do you drive your car in the name of Jesus? If Jesus were behind the wheel of your car, would your car move down the road more courteously than when you are driving? <laughs> Would Jesus listen to music as he drove? I like to think so. After all, Jesus created music. Would he sometimes listen to country western music as well as to worship music? I don't see why not. Would he listen to the news? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Would he pray for the state of the world? as he listened to the news. What would Jesus do? It's our, our ordinary daily activities where doing everything in the name of Jesus has its most significant meaning. What does it mean to do household chores in the name of Jesus? 
How do I wash the clothes or rake the leaves or clean the windows in the name of Jesus? Sometimes we take on difficult tasks like plumbing jobs that seem to have no end to problems. It's during those times that we tend to get frustrated, we tend to snap at people or say things we would never want someone to hear us say. Doing this type of work in the name of Jesus would mean reflecting on how fortunate you are to have the physical dexterity to do the work or how fortunate you are to have a nice place to live. You just have to fix that little plumbing problem. Our activities usually bring us into contact with many people during the day to work in the name of Jesus means viewing them in more, as more than just customers or accounts or employees or co-workers. Working in the name of Jesus means viewing people as actual people. They have real lives with families just like we do. You might make it a point to learn something about them, their interests, or where they live. If you work with your hands, you might say a quick prayer at the end of your work and offer it to God as a gift. Jesus spent most of his adult life working with his hands as a carpenter. We can be sure that as he worked, he expressed his character, glorifying his father. Every bit as much as he did traveling around Judea as a rabbi during his ministry. How do you spend money in the name of Jesus? How do you shop in the name of Jesus? <laughs> Part of the answer involves noticing the people who work in the stores and treating them with kindness. Purchasing clothes in the name of Jesus doesn't mean you have to wear ugly clothes. <laughs> that would be distorting spirituality. Beauty is an incredibly wonderful thing. Jesus pointed out that God has an eye for beauty. God has dressed common flowers with more beauty than the best dressed man in the history of Israel. He said, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. However, I think shopping in the name of Jesus probably means saying no to certain purchases. It, it means understanding that you are not called by God to make an ultimate fashion statement. You realize that beauty is good, but you realize that what's more important, what is the deepest good, is not beauty. Beauty is not the deepest good. So do you have a sense of the radical nature of what Paul was saying? Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. Jesus invites us to live life in his name. I used to run on Thanksgiving Day. I used to run the um, half marathon in Jacksonville. 
in the morning and then head down to the Palatka Seventh-day Baptist Church. They, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have an annual Thanksgiving Day community dinner on their church grounds. It was quite the spread. But this is a story about the half marathon, not the dinner. <laughs> At the beginning of the half marathon, people were always excited. Everybody was excited about going on this run. And there were a lot of people. And there were hundreds and hundreds, I don't know, seven or 800 people would be at that Jacksonville Half Marathon. And back in the day, it was sponsored by Outback. There were a lot of smiles. There was a lot of anticipation with people that they were going to have a great run. They practiced, some, some of them like me, for months before the race. But at the end of the race, things were a lot different. The runners were no longer smiling. <laughs> Many of them carried a grim look of determination over the finish line. Many wannabe runners never even made it to the finish line. Finishing was hard work. Finishing is what counted. The capacity to finish well is what the New Testament writers call perseverance. It's a virtue through which we are increasingly able to honor our commitments for a lifetime. And it is especially true when the ability to honor commitments becomes difficult. First, we need to understand that endurance and perseverance, although often considered synonyms, are not. Endurance is more of a defensive verb. Or, ad, yeah, endurance can be a verb or whatever. Perseverance is more offensive. You can endure troubles and not move forward. Perseverance is when you are enduring and you're still striving for excellence. But perseverance is something that is not always easy. So I have a funny little story, made-up story, that can highlight this, this idea. Grandpa and Grandma were resting in bed after 60 years of marriage. One evening, Grandma said, When we were young, you used to hold my hand each night. And slowly, even though he was a little annoyed, Grandpa reached out his hand to find hers. And when we were young, she continued, you used to snuggle up against me. A little more slowly, <laughs> Grandpa, his body creaked and turned until he was nestled softly against Grandma's side. And when we were young, you used to nibble on my ear. At that, Grandpa abruptly threw back the blankets, and with a bit of effort, he thrust himself up off the bed. Where are you going, Grandma said, a little bit disappointed. To get my teeth, he mumbled. You see, perseverance is not a panacea. We have limits that the desire to persevere cannot transcend. We are enabled and we are limited by a whole host of factors. Perseverance alone will not overcome our limitations. But there is no doubt 
that any meaningful human accomplishment will require perseverance. Our natural abilities and talents are, and our IQs are to some extent beyond our control, but regardless of who we are and what we bring to the table of life, God is looking for us to offer him perseverance. Spiritual transformation will not happen without it. And the writer of Hebrews said it this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God's expectation is that we won't quit striving for excellence. And let me say, this is a good stopping point today. Next Sabbath, let's continue by looking at the role of perseverance in our lives. Amen and hallelujah.